we're, we're really looking forward to it. Hey, and as you leave today, there's plenty of these tickets left on the tables by the doors if you want to take them as invites. Uh, they've got little QR codes you can scan with your phone to take, take people to our website for more information. Uh, back in 2020, so it was right before the world, you know, fell to pieces, uh, our Super Sunday, we had a record attendance, an all-time record for Fairdale Christian Church, which is crazy. We would have bigger attendances on Super Bowl Sunday than we would on Easter Sunday. But uh, man, it's a great time. Hope that you'll make plans to be here and bring somebody along with you. It's going to be really a lot of fun. And also, if you, uh, if you decide you'd like to uh, tailgate, some people will be out in the parking lot as long as the weather's not stupid. Feel free to bring your grill, hang out your cooler, whatever you want to do out in the parking lot if you want to do that first and then come in or whatever. We're going to have plenty of food here as well inside, but uh, just excited to share the day with you guys. We have been in this series, and this is the sixth week, and we're wrapping things up today called Staying Faithful, what it looks like to follow Jesus faithfully. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Old Testament character, a guy by the name of Daniel, and looking at the book of Daniel and and it's, for me, it's, it's such a challenging uh, concept. We, we talk about what it looks like to, to just be a faithful follower of Jesus. It seems so simple, and yet the way that it plays out in our life, we find that the daily struggles, the grind of everyday life can just throw a lot of roadblocks up for us. And one of the biggest things that we need, and we talked about this last week, we talked about Daniel and his friends, is how much we need each other. And that God has given us the gift of the church that we can have and share these relationships where we're encouraging one another. We're kind of just spurring each other on to growth. And, and, uh, and so last week I, I mentioned that we've got a very special opportunity that we want you to be a part of called Rooted. And, and what this is is that it's a 10-week spiritual formation experience. So it's, a, it's kind of a small group experience. What we'll do is we'll do these on Sunday morning. So you can come to one service and then you can go to a rooted group, the other service. And uh, everybody will be together, but we'll be sitting at different tables. You'll have a table group leader. and We'll be going through some different uh, just spiritual growth things and taking a deep dive into Scripture and some spiritual practices. And I know that if you're part of this, you will be blessed and you, you will grow. You'll be amazed how much growth uh, you'll, you'll make in 10 weeks. Not only just that, but getting a chance to get to know some other people that call Fairdale Christian home. So we would love for you to be part of that. In your bulletin card, uh, there's a graphic that says Rooted, this, this graphic, and it's got the little QR code. You can use your phone if you want to just go straight to the website because we need you to sign up. Uh, we've just got a two weeks before this is going to start, but we need to know how many people are going to be a part of this so we can prepare. So you can go to our website and sign up there. Uh, or you can swing by the next steps as you leave and talk to one of our volunteers. They can get you all set up and signed up. Uh, but no matter what, we really, really want you to consider being part of this. It's a, just a 10-week commitment. And, uh, and, and I know that you're really, gonna, really going to experience a lot of great stuff as a result of it. And what I really want you to know as we, as we jump into this message today, you've got to know this. Predictable patterns produce predictable outcomes. Predi I'm going to say it again. Predictable patterns produce predictable outcomes. You may not know this, but your life is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting right now. Because 
you are a product of the patterns and the rhythms that are a part of your life. Some of you, myself included, you know, what are the predictable things that we're doing? Right now, one of the predictable things that has emerged in my life is every day I'm going to do the wordle of the day. Anybody, anybody into that at all? Nobody? Okay, it's just me. I'm, I'm a nerd. But I, I, that's it's one of those patterns that's emerged. I don't know that it's really benefiting me anything at all, except for I'm trying to beat my wife every day. Well, not actually, that's, not actually beat her. <laughs> beat her in this game, and, which I do. I do beat her in, in this game. But, uh, but <laughs> let's just back up, rewind the tape a little bit. But to recap where we've been, as we've talked about Daniel, this, this Old Testament character, and, and he, was, he was a faithful man living in a very faithless time in the midst of just crazy circumstances. He's a guy that grew up, he's living in Jerusalem, and, and one day the, the, the Babylonian king, a guy by the name King Nebuchadnezzar, decided, hey, we're going to come in, we're going to take it. We're going to take over Jerusalem. We're going to plunder everything. We're going to, and, and they took some people captive. And because Daniel was one of the best and the brightest and had some of the most potential of uh, young men there, they took him captive and put him in this executive training program or re-education program, however you want to look at it, where they say, we want you to forget about your history and forget about your God, and we want you to become who we are and who we want you to be and follow our practices but as you look at his life these patterns emerge because he's very predictable you just know what he's going to do it's not like you there's no big surprises there there's things that he's doing to form himself spiritually and that's the way you and I are as well what we're doing what we're doing right now is giving us what we've got the things that we're doing the patterns that we have that we're a product of that and every so often Every so often you get somebody who has decided to up their game a little bit. And so they've, they've you know, introduced some new, uh, new rhythms into their life, some new patterns. They're working hard towards something different and something better. And you see this progress in their life. You see growth. And it doesn't take very long at all before people start to get jealous. Because we look at other people and we say, well, look how well they're doing. And I'm not doing as well as they are, but I don't want to put in the effort. But So we're just, you know, misery loves company. And you see this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. It says that Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. He's a smart cookie. He's got a lot of great leadership skills, and, and, and people were noticing something very special about him, just like for many of you, maybe there have been people in your life that have almost kind of, you know, spoken into your life a little bit and said, you know, I just see something in you. You've got natural leadership abilities, or, you know, you're so intelligent, or you seem to be so discerning, and there's, I just see these attributes, these qualities in you. You ever had anybody speak like that into your life? I mean, it just makes you feel great. Some of you, maybe it's, it's, you've stuffed that down for so long, you've forgotten about what people have said about you or, or seen in you. But at any rate, what happens to Daniel is pretty common to what happens to, to us. When you start making a change, people start getting jealous. Uh, they, you know, there, there are people in your life and in my life that don't want to see, they don't want to see growth in you. And uh, the next verse says in verse 4, that the, the other administrators and high officers 
began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. They just want to bring him down a little bit. But it says they couldn't find anything to criticize or, to com- or condemn. He was faithful. Man, that's the word to underline. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. There's just, there's just nothing in him that would lead anybody to say, you know, well, we need to, we need to take him down a few pegs. I mean, this guy, he is, he, he's just steady. Predictable patterns. They, they lead to predictable outcomes. I know people, I, I personally know people, uh, some, some that are in this room right now. I'm not going to call you out by name, but you are trying to further your career. We've talked about this. It's your, you, you're taking the classes. You're uh, getting the certification. You know, you're, you're, doing, you're doing the things because you're looking for the next step. Right? You just want to take that next step in your, in your career. And there are people around you that, that don't want to put in the same kind of time and effort. You know, they, they, don't want, they don't want to take the steps that you're taking. And they get jealous. And so they begin to say things like, well, you know, what's wrong with our department? You know, and, and why would you even want to do that anyway? Do you think you're better than we are? You think, you think you're so special? That person, and they start talking about you. And funny thing is, you know this because it's, you know your motives and you know what you're trying to accomplish. You're just, you're just trying to take the next step. It's not, nothing about anybody else. I'm not looking around me and saying, oh, I'm better than you, so look at what I'm doing. You're just saying, I want to further my career a little bit. I, I'm, I, I'm driven. I, I want to, I you know, this is just the next the next opportunity. How can I continue to grow? You know, when it really hurts is when, it's, when it comes from people that you love. And maybe it's family or close friends. Or maybe, maybe even within your own family, you're trying to break a generational curse. And you know, the, the moment that you do that, the moment that you begin to take those steps, you say, maybe, maybe you've sought some counseling to say, you know, I've got I've to, uh, you know, figure out what is broken inside me so that I cannot be a product of, uh, you know, toxic family garbage. And the moment that you try to, you begin to take those positive steps and, and, and say, this is, this is not who I'm going to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this pattern of abuse or these cycles of anger or addiction, the, the toxic stuff, get ready for the jealousy. Get ready for the blowback from family. I, I cannot tell you how many people I've sat down with that have, you know, maybe they were the first ones in their family to become a, a Christian. They say, I, I'm following Jesus and all of my family, they do nothing but ridicule me. And I don't know why. I'm not trying to shove Jesus down their throats. I'm just, this is, this is the life that God's called me to live. And where's that coming from? And why are they doing this? Why would these people that, that I love and that, you know, are part, such a big part of my life, why, why would they treat me so bad just because I love the Lord? Because they're jealous. Because they see positive change. Because they see what God's doing. And and there's just this little part of all of us that we get threatened. When somebody elevates their game, we, we get threatened when somebody has a special gift inside of them. We get threatened when somebody is getting something that we're not getting. It's just the little broken 
sinful parts within us. I read an article from Entrepreneur Magazine that said this about, why is it that people seem to hate successful people so much? You know, why, why is that? And, uh, and this quote, it said, haters hate on you because you're doing what they cannot or will not or they're too afraid to attempt. Haters are a natural part of growth. It says there's one way to avoid having haters. So if you, if you say, oh, I, you know, I, I don't like to ruffle feathers. I don't like when people, you know, are against me. I just want everybody to just kumbaya, everybody lovey-dovey, all that stuff, stuff. What do I do? What do I do? There's one way it says to avoid having haters. Sit on the sidelines and do nothing. Don't set goals. Be average. And no one will judge or hate you. Well, I don't want to be that. There's nothing within me that wants to be just average. And I know that God's not called us to be average. God's not called any of us. He didn't form you, you know, and, and have you planned before the foundations of the earth were laid. He didn't have you in mind so that you could just be cookie-cutter average and never ruffle any feathers and never do anything significant. But, but let's be honest, it hurts. It hurts because nobody wants, to, nobody wants to have haters. Nobody wants to have somebody that's against you or that says bad things about you, especially if you're like Daniel. Here these guys are coming after him. A bunch of haters. We're going to try to find fault in him. We're going to nitpick and we just want to bring him down and they can't find anything. They can't find anything wrong. So what do they do? The next verse says they concluded. Oh man, let's listen to this. <laughs> they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Ah, there it is. There it is. If, if I'm a, a person of moral, upright character and nobody can, nobody can find any fault within us, then I'll attack your faith. Well, you're so judgmental. You, know, you Christians, you're so narrow-minded. You know, you think you're better than everybody else. How many times have you been there that uh, maybe you've got a friend group and then you become a, a Jesus follower and they say, well, we'd love that for you to hang out with us this weekend, but don't you have to be up early for church or something like that? You know, or oh, I know that you probably are looking down your nose. You're judging all of us, I'm sure. And you think, no, I'm, I'm absolutely not, like not at all. But, but that's the accusation. You can't be around us anymore because now you're, you're, you're one of those Jesus lovers. Or my absolute favorite, this is one that's been used on me a lot, is when you're trying to get away from, you know, toxic negativity, you're trying to break generational family curses, you know, and, and my family has been hundreds of years of, of anger, and I mean, you think about the Hatfields, I'm related to the original Hatfields, the Hatfield McCoys, there's a lot of anger there, folks, I don't know if you've ever watched those documentaries they're an angry bunch. They really, they really hold grudges. And uh, that, that's just been something that's been woven throughout that family tree. And I decided years ago, man, I just don't want to be like this. I just can't be like this. I tell you, when you're trying to be who God wants you to be, and the attack from family and friends is, well, I thought you were supposed to be such a good Christian. Aren't you supposed to just love everybody and accept us as we are? And it hurts because, you know, the, the, the hint of truth there is, well, yeah, I, I do love you. And, and God does love you and he, and, he, and he accepts you and all that. But there's a big difference between loving people and allowing them to drag you down to the level where they are. 
A big difference there. Thank you. There, there is, there's a huge difference. And, and Jesus loved people. And this is the balance. This is the thing. When you, when you look at Scripture, there's a lot of places in, in the Bible where you may say, well, isn't that contradictory? You know, uh, the, the Bible says that we should uh, have faith. You know, faith is, is so vitally important, and yet without works, it says that, that we have no faith. So which is it? Is it faith or is it works? It's both. It's, it's the whole breadth of truth. There and, and one of those things is in, we talk about the, the character and the person of Jesus. Did he love everyone? Of course. Of course. He's reaching out to all and, and loving them. But he also knew where to draw a line. And I think if you want to look for a specific example of that, I mean, of course, we could talk about the Pharisees all day long. But one of the ones that really is, I think, jarring a little bit is you re- recall Jesus' conversation with Peter, one of his closest friends. One of his closest disciples. And, and he says to Peter, he says, hey, listen, you need to get behind me. And then he calls him Satan, which I would not recommend unless you're Jesus. But he says, you are becoming a stumbling block to me right now. And I'm not going to have that. I can't have it. So you're going to have to get, be- get behind me. In Daniel's case, they couldn't find anything to pin on him. No, no fault there. So they conspired together and said, well, let's do this. So in verse 6 it says, so the administrators and the high officers went to the king. And we'll just go above Daniel's head and we'll, we'll, we'll set some things up against him. So they said, oh, long live King Darius. They're blowing smoke. We're all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors... That the king, you, you, you great and mighty king, you ought to make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. Pretty weird deal. But uh, in, in this interaction, the king just sort of says, oh, okay, sounds good, yeah, I'll take a little prayer. That's fine. It sounds good. And they're like, okay, let's do this. Make it where it cannot be, it cannot be broken. It can't be revoked. Like, okay, sure. So he signs the thing, signs this new law. And these guys thought, okay, we, we got Daniel now. Because they knew his predictable patterns. They knew his rhythms. Verse 10 says that when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to his God. That's the pattern in his life. Everybody knew about it. Everybody knew that this this Daniel, man, he is a prayer warrior. He prays three times a day, and they knew that he would be predictable. And maybe that word's been used about you in in a negative sense. Maybe somebody's told you, you know, you're, you're you're just so... This is so predictable. You know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people, even in their relationships and their marriages, where they, it starts to break down a little bit, and they say, oh, well, you know, I just, it's just, it used to be so, you know, spicy and fun, and, and now everything just seems so monotonous and boring and predictable. I use another word for predictable. I use the word faithful. I'll take predictable and faithful any day. 
I, I think it was pretty, pretty great. I, I wish somebody, you know, if somebody say, hey, Brandon, you're, you're pretty predictable. I'd be like, okay, awesome. I, I'll take that. You know where I'm going. You know who I am. And you, you, you know that that's, that's who I'm going to be. And these guys, they say, Daniel is so predictable. He's so faithful to his God. He prays three times a day. We'll nail him. Now, now we've got him. Now, this is the interesting thing. And it's just as a side note about this passage. He's got this, this, this is his flow. That he prays three times a day, opens his windows and prays toward Jerusalem. Now, there is nothing in Scripture that says that we have to do that. There's nothing in Scripture that says we have to pray facing Jerusalem. If you're familiar with Islam, Muslims, they, when they pray, they pray toward Mecca. That's part of their, what they do. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that we are to do that. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that we have to pray three times a day or five times a day or however many times a day. There's none of that. This is just Daniel's rhythm. This is just what he's found that's working for him. And, and the way I think of it, when it's Scripture doesn't say pray three times a day. It says we should pray without ceasing. You know, we should be praying at all times, which I take to mean there's no limit. You know, you're not limited to three times a day at meals or whatever, in the morning, at night or whatever. If you, if you, if you pray before you eat, great. If you don't, that's fine. If, if you want to pray in the shower, go for it. If you kneel beside your bed at night, that's awesome. You can pray on your way to work. You can pray at work. You can pray after work. Whatever. Just any time, all the time, God wants us to, to talk with him. You're not limited. But for, for Daniel, this is, his, this is his pattern. And uh, this is what is working for him. He, and he always follows through. So this is my, here's my question for you. I want you to think about this. What are your patterns? What's your flow? What are the things that you predictably do, like clockwork? You never miss. You never skip a beat. And, and these are things that you are doing on a regular basis that are adding value to your life. They're leading you where you want to go. They're leading you toward growth. Now, I'm not going to tell you all the patterns that you should have in your life. You know, there's lots of things that you could be doing. I'm not going to tell you that. All I'm going to say is there should be patterns. There, there should be, you've got to have some and you've got to know what they are. That this is what works for me. This is my rhythm. You've got to have things that you do on purpose because you know that they're leading you to the results that you want to achieve. That's how you go to another level. And this is what happened with Daniel. The king finds out that he's still praying to God. And so he, the king really, really liked Daniel. So he tried to find a way to save him. He's looking for a way to bail him out. But he, he really didn't want to throw Daniel into the lion's den. But to maintain his integrity. Okay, I'm the king and I signed this thing. And this is what I said we were going to do. He's like, I got no option here. We have to, we have to do this. So he had him thrown in this den of lions, which is interesting. They, they use this as a way of, you know, torturing or, you know, having people executed. Just kind of a pit. They had this pit that they put lions in and would starve them, basically. You know, wouldn't give these lions food. And then when they had, an, you know, somebody that they wanted to punish, they'd throw them in the pit and in Daniel's case, they did that, and then they put a rock on top so that he was, there's no way of escaping. You're stuck there. And, and the king, it says, so they did this. He, the king doesn't want to, but he had him thrown into this lion's den. And I'm not going to read all the scripture to you, but it just, it talks about the king that night and how torn up he was. So that he couldn't eat. He didn't want any of his regular entertainment. 
He couldn't sleep. He's just pacing the floor all night long, just worried about Daniel, so upset. You know, why, why does it have to be like this? He's just sick about it. And the Bible says in verse 19, it says that very early the next morning, as soon as the sun comes up, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to save you, rescue you from the lions? Now, this is what I find so interesting about, about this account in the Bible. There's so much that I want to know. Like Daniel, he's in the lion's den. What did he do that night? We have no idea. Did he, did he pet the lions? I mean, did, he, did he snuggle up with them and sleep? Like, was he in one corner just like rocking back and forth and there in the other just licking their chops? Like, what happened? We have no idea. It doesn't say. No, we, we just don't know what happened there. And, and it's funny because when you, you know, and I've asked you the last couple of weeks, like when we say the name Daniel, a lot of us, if you grew up in church, this is the story you think of. Daniel in the lion's den. That's the one we've heard at VBS and Sunday school and church camp and all that. You know, Daniel in the lion's den, God closing the mouth, which, okay, spoiler alert, he's saved, right? I mean, that's kind of a given. Like, it's a big save. God, you know, miraculously closes the lion's mouths, whatever. But, uh, but you, you, you read this story, you think about this story, and, and I would always think, okay, the, the central, you know, in this moment, the central character is Daniel. But we don't, we don't know what he did. Or, or maybe, maybe the, 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 the big deal is the, the lions. It's all about the lions, right? But it's not. We don't know what happened in that pit. We, we don't know what happened with Daniel, what they were doing. What do we know? We know what the king did. The spotlight's on the king right now. We know that he paced the floor all night. Wouldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't think about anything else. It says he, he, was, he was so torn up, and as soon as it was morning, he rushes out there and says, Daniel, was your God that you served so faithfully, was he able to rescue you from the lions? That was the only thing on his mind. And this is what's interesting about that. You have this king that obviously does not share the same values that Daniel has. He doesn't follow the Lord, uh, does not share the same faith that Daniel has, and yet Daniel has added some value to his life. There's something there that the king really, really values him. Is there anybody who has different spiritual beliefs than you have? that really needs you in their life? I mean, that's a tough question. But is there anybody that does not share your same faith in Jesus that they need you in their life, that you add value to them? Many of us, we don't even have people that don't share our same political ideas, let alone when it comes to important things like our faith. Do we have anybody that it's not following Jesus, and yet they need you. They don't have your ideas. They don't have your patterns, but they get something major from you, and they want you there. That is the kind of value that the church ought to add everywhere we are. That's part of being the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. Jesus said, you're going to be like salt and light. 
You're going to be like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Not in an obnoxious way. Not in a, hey, listen to us. You guys are wrong and you need to do what we're doing. Not, not in that kind of way, but, but in a way that is pointing people somewhere. Say, look at what we have to, to offer. That's the value of the church, our mission to help people wherever they are. And people may not agree uh, with anything we believe, but, but they would be grieved if we closed our doors. That ought to be what the church is like. There's a lot more that happens in this story. The king is thrilled that Daniel's alive, and he has the guys that arrested him put in the lion's den. Uh, it's, it's this great, like, rated R moment that you have to go back. I mean, it's just, they just rip them apart. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. And, and the, king, the king has this moment where he says, hey, Daniel's God is the real deal. Daniel, the God of Daniel, he has saved him. I've seen it with my own eyes. He rescues Daniel. And that's the moment that I know that many of us are praying for because we have people in our lives, family and friends, when we stay faithful, when we have predictable patterns, that they, they know. It's like I always think of my, my grandparents on my mother's side. I, I don't ever have to wonder like what they would do in a scenario or you know if they're confronted with some kind of situation I know what kind of people that they are and have been and I know what their reaction will be that they would always put Christ first no matter what what are what are the patterns in your life you know and, and faithfulness it may not be like the most exciting concept like we talk about yeah let's be predictable let's be faithful people like it's like, oh man, but that's, that's not as, that doesn't sound as fun. It's not as glamorous, but I'll tell you what it is. It's powerful, extremely powerful when you have someone who is faithful unto death. You know, the number one reason, the number one all-time reason why people say, I'm not interested in church, I'm not interested in Jesus. You know, don't talk to me about any of that Jesus stuff. You know, the, you know this already, but the number one reason people, people say that or feel that way Say, well, there's so many hypocrites in the church. And they're right. I mean, they're right. And they're always going to be right because we're far from perfect. You know, we're, 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 not, we're not there yet. We're, but, but you know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something that they're not. That's why our mission here is we want to be real people rooted in Jesus. It's not to give us an excuse to say, oh, yeah, so just live however you want and do whatever. It doesn't matter just so long as you come to church on Sunday. That's, that's not what it is at all. It's about let's not, let's not pretend that we're perfect. We're all stumbling toward Jesus. We're, we're all a project in the making. He's not finished with us yet. But we're going to try to get it right. You know, we're going to love people pray for you and we're going to do our best to encourage you and to walk beside you if you have a need for a friend a a brother or sister in Christ we want to be available that's who we want to be real people you know flaws and all but we're deeply connected to Jesus in a way that's life transforming our hope is that through that kind of realness and authenticity that those who are watching on the outside, they might not totally agree with us. They might say, I'm not sure where I stand with Jesus, but hopefully we're adding something of value to them. Hopefully they, they, they're gaining something, and one day, God willing, they will give their lives.
to Jesus Christ because, maybe, because they saw the faithfulness of God's people. And they look at us and they say, man, these people, they don't, like, they don't freak out about political stuff. They don't freak out with what the stock market's doing. They don't freak out about a pandemic or, or, or problems or even death itself. They just seem to have a hope that goes beyond this life. What, what's with them? What is that? And they'll recognize and know, like the king did with Daniel, that their God is the true, one true living God. Daniel's blessed and he's prospered through predictable patterns that led to predictable outcomes. What are the patterns in your life? You know, one thing we know, we've looked at the research on this. This is interesting. I don't know, I don't know why it's like this, but this is when a person commits to reading the Bible four times a week. I don't know why the number four, but that seems to be the magic number. When a person reads the Bible, spends time in the Word of God four times a week, change comes into their life. Uh, don't know why. Don't know why it's four, but it is. And, and we've challenged you, you know, a few months ago, we did a uh, sort of 90-day tithe challenge, saying, hey, step into this. Start giving. Start trusting God with your income and see what He does in your life. And then we, uh, just a, a month ago, we, we did uh, fasting and prayer. It's 21 days. Let's, let's turn our attention to the Lord and just see what He would do, how He would use that. We've given you uh, Bible reading guides which are still available in the lobby to say just spend a little time every day. Just get in the Word. Just get in it. Just, just read it and let the, let the Word, let, let God's Word just wash over you and see what happens. See if you don't see some change. Now we're getting ready in a couple of weeks to go into a rooted. We're challenging you. Ten weeks, man. Ten weeks. Let's go deep. Let's go beyond surfacy. Let's get into the meat. Why do we do all that stuff? Why, why? Why would we do that? Because we want you to know that when you take steps, predictable patterns, they lead to predictable outcomes. We know when you do those things, when you pray, when you fast, when you tithe, when you give, when you serve, you change. And God does something with that. You know, through Scripture, there's, there's a, you know, lots of images and one of the images that I love is the image of hands. And it says, uh, there's different places in the Bible where uh, it says that we should be open-handed to one another. You know, helping those in need. You're not holding tight on, you know, our, my stuff and my life. And, but, you know, hold, hold loosely. You know, have an open hand towards those in need. And then there's, there's an image of open hand toward God. Where we come before the Lord and say, God, I want to receive from you. My hands are open. I want to receive. I want to be who you want me to be. And there's the image, too, of uh, you know, when someone was surrendering. You know, we think about, like, if uh, an officer says, hey, stop, you know, put your hands up, right? I don't have anything in my hands. And in, in, the, Bible, in the Bible, people not only would go like this, but they would go like this as a sign of, look, I, I don't have anything in my hands. I'm not, there's no weapon. I'm not trying to fight you. I'm, I'm surrendering to you. And then one of my absolute favorite images is a, a moment that Jesus has with a man that we just know him as a man with a withered hand, a crippled hand. And Jesus said to him, I want you to stretch out your hand. And he was healed. Jesus did a 
miracle, performed a miracle and healed him. But there's that image of the open-handedness that we're coming before God and saying, Lord, I want to receive from you. I want you to do something in my life. So I thought it'd be a good way to close this series out by just having a time of prayer. And what I'd like you to, to do as you're seated is just to have your hands open like this on your lap. And just as a sign to the Lord. And, and only, let me just say, preface, just only do this if you mean it. If you're not there yet, you say, man, I, I'm not sure. I'm still, still a little on the fence. It's okay. It's all right. Don't worry about it. For those of us that say, I, I, want, I want to stay faithful. I want Jesus to take me somewhere else. I, I, don't, I don't want to be where I am anymore. I want to take the next steps. I want, I want predictable patterns that will lead to predictable outcomes. If that's you, I'd like for you to just open your hands before God. And let's bow our heads and let's pray together. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you're encouraged. And uh, cannot wait to see you next week for Super Sunday. It's going to be an awesome day. And I hope you invite somebody for that. See you next week.